Welcome to New Life Church's weekly message. New Life Church's mission is to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus through the gospel. This week, speaker, Pastor Brian Robertson, delivers part one of the series entitled, The Spirit. You can find the sermon outline and video for this message at enewlife.com or the New Life Church Gehenna have been given a task this morning to cover the entire doctrine of the Holy Spirit in one sermon. So I hope that pork roast uh, is on low. Okay. Well, take your uh, study guide out of your worship folder and we'll get right into it. First, I want to tell you that I have, I've brought a gift. Um, somebody asked me on the way up, is that a prop? Yeah. It's required of me. To heavy prop. Yeah. Gifts are cool, right? Gifts, uh, I like gifts. I especially like gifts that are wrapped and not that lazy bag thing. Some man invented those bags because they thought, oh, I forgot to wrap it. I don't know how to wrap. Throw it in a bag. But then they put newspaper in over it. So some woman came along and invented tissue paper that you had to flute and fold in exactly the right way to get in the bag, and then you used an entire thing of tissue paper. Hallmark is genius. Anyway, I like a gift. That's just a little rant there. That was extra. Not that I'm bitter about bags or anything. I'll take your gift, whether it's in a bag or not. Well, they're exciting. Gifts are exciting. They're tempting, right? If your mom shopped on the Friday after Thanksgiving and then came home and wrapped it and put it under the bed for Christmas, and then by Christmas there was this corner off right here to see if it was indeed the G.I. Joe that you had ordered. But we have been given a gift from God. Amazing, right? Well, we could say that that gift was, this gift would be salvation, that we are saved from death and hell. But here's the cool part. There's more. Jesus promised more. It's more than just, hey, you know, it's not a pass, get out of hell free pass. There's more. Jesus promised more. It's, it's this gift that we're going to learn about today and next week, this gift of the Spirit. My hope is that if this is an entirely new concept to you, that you will want to rip open this gift and enjoy it for all it's worth. And if you're familiar with these truths today, then I hope that you'll be lifted up to a new level of gratitude and excitement for this wonderful gift that is ours. You see, this gift is a person, and that person is the Spirit of God. So we're going to jump in and start ripping off paper here, just metaphorically, and uh, discover what the Bible tells us about the Spirit. Now, because this is just one message, this is not going to be an, we can't get to everything. So if I skip something, give me some grace this morning, okay? First, let's start out by looking at Jesus' promise of the Spirit. We're kind of going to go backwards in time, find out what Jesus said about the Spirit. And the first passage we're going to look at is John 16. And this is 
John 14, 15, and 16 is often called the upper room discourse. This is his final time with his disciples. This is where during the Last Supper time, you've heard about the Last Supper. Well, this is all John 14, 15, 16. There was a lot more that went on that night. And Jesus is getting in that last teaching that he'll uh, get to be with his disciples. And in verse 7 of chapter 16, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus says there's this Helper coming. And this word Helper is the word that in many cases in Scripture is called the Holy Spirit, the Spirit, the Helper. This word in the Old Testament, it actually happens 90 plus times in the Old Testament. And the word in in the Greek... In the New Testament is pneuma, happens 250 plus times. Refers essentially to the ideas wind and breath. Both words are expressing energy and motion and life and activity that belong to God. The Holy Spirit is essentially God's power and presence among his people. He is the breath of God into our life. Five times in the upper room discourse, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. And in this one, he says, I need to go so that the Holy Spirit can come, so that a helper can come. Consider this, the church is actually better off because Jesus is no longer physically here. You know, we say say all the time, if Jesus were just here, this would be easier. You know, I could follow him, I could obey him. Well, the disciples had him right there, and they were the flakiest bunch of people you'd ever seen in your life, right? We think it'd be easier. No, here's what what happens. If you were in the first century, you would have to go to Palestine in order to be with Jesus. But now, Christ is everywhere by his Spirit. You see, we can do better. Better than walking with him or seeing him, he can dwell in us through his Spirit. God has not sent His Spirit, though, to influence us occasionally, kind of like now and then, hey, you might want to do better. No, 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 that's not the idea of the Spirit. He has poured out His Spirit generously on us. You see, we are really, we are to be, we are drenched in the Spirit. However small or weak you may feel, this amazing gift of the Spirit is with you and in you. He lives within you in all his fullness. See, it's important to know as we begin this discussion that if you are a believer, if you are a follower of Christ, you have all of the spirit that you will ever receive. He's given you all of his spirit. The issue isn't needing more of his spirit. The issue is, am I given fully over to the influence of the Holy Spirit through my obedience? See, we, don't need, we can't get more of him, but he certainly can get more of us as we give our lives over to him. Kevin DeYoung, he's a pastor in the state up north. It's getting close to fall, so I'm trying to learn how to do that again. He says this, No other possession is as precious, helpful, dynamic, strong, and loving as the spirit who dwells in those who belong to God through Christ. And Jesus says, I'm going to leave, and this helper is going to come. So then Jesus, from that point, goes through 
the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection. He spends 40 days teaching, proclaiming the good news. And in Matthew 28, 20, he gives what's called the Great Commission. That here's your task. Now I'm going. I'm heading home. Here's what you have to do. And he tells us to go and preach the gospel. And in that Great Commission, it says, Behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. I am with you. Well, how can that be? You're, you just said, okay, I'm leaving, helper's coming. How are you with us? Well, he's building on this truth that the Holy Spirit is coming. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God can live with people in the person of the Holy Spirit. Jesus is God. The Holy Spirit is God. I am going to be with you. Yes, this body is leaving, but now the Spirit is coming, and I'll continue to be with you. A.W. Tozer, a great Christian writer and theologian, said, Holiness, as taught in scriptures, is not based upon knowledge on our part. Rather, it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. The indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. We're going to talk about that more in just a minute. But that is what Jesus was promising. I'm going to be with you. No, you won't be able to see me, but you'll know I'm there. This is his promise. So let's go back and start from the beginning to find out more. Let's go back and take a glimpse into the Spirit in the Old Testament real quickly. In Genesis 1 verse 2, he's present at creation. It says he hovered over the waters. There he is, the Holy Spirit, right at the beginning of creation. In Exodus 35, interesting passage, it's all these things where God is telling uh, Israel how to build the temple, and it says that the Spirit came and equipped the artists for temple, the temple design. We need some Holy Spirit-equipped artists, don't we, in our midst. In Judges 6, if you're going through the gospel project in your small group, we were just in this passage uh, this past week. Judges 6, 34, he was, it was the Spirit giving special leadership to Gideon as he went to war. In Judges 13, there's this dude named Samson. And the Spirit, it says, is giving him guidance in his life. Now, sometimes Samson listened to that Spirit, and sometimes he didn't. But nevertheless, the Spirit is there. In 1 Samuel, we see Saul being led by the Holy Spirit. But in chapter 16, we see that the Spirit leaves him and departs from him again because the Spirit was not an indwelling Spirit at that point. We see throughout David's writing his fear that the Holy Spirit will be taken from him and depart from him. What do we see here? Well, this is not a complete work of the Holy Spirit, though. But I'll, it, we'll look here now that the pro, something very interesting is that the prophets in the Old Testament looked forward to a coming age where the Spirit would be fully active. Let's look at some of those. In Joel chapter 2, 28 through 34, we're going to read just verse 28. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit, where? On all flesh. This is the Spirit's coming on all of God's people. In a very almost universal sense, that God's Spirit would come to be an influence, a regular ongoing influence in humanity. And this comes to be in Acts 2, a passage we'll look at here a little more in a few moments, where it says that the Spirit was poured on all flesh. 
This is the coming of the Holy Spirit to work in the lives of men and women. Ezekiel 36. We'll look at verses 26 and 27, skip to 37, 14, okay? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. You can underline that if you're an underliner. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, underline that, and cause you to work to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Verse 14, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will uh, place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Look at this phrase. I will put a new spirit within you. I'll put a spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you. This is different than we see prophesied by Joel. Ezekiel is saying this is going to be a personal and permanent Spirit that dwells within God's people. Now we see the prophecy of this indwelling Holy Spirit, not just a spirit that works from outside into the affairs of, of humanity, but one who is coming to indwell God's followers. Well, this comes to be Delivers part the New Testament in Romans 8 entitled, 9 testifies to this that the Spirit indwells. All this believers. Week, Let me speaker, pause just to Jay tell Fireball, you that oh, well. I believe the Bible clearly teaches this that the Holy week, Spirit speaker, indwells Pastor every Jay believer Fireball at the moment of salvation. Entitled, the Spirit. That when we are drawn by the Spirit to Jesus, we say this yes week, to Jesus. Speaker, yes, I'll give my life Alan to you. Budd, I will follow you. That the Spirit at that moment week, indwells us. And we have all of him that we will ever have. Entitled, the Spirit. Because of these promises this week, that we speaker, read. And these Pastor statements Joe. in Romans 8, oh. that he indwells all oh. believers. Then Isaiah, Brian. Cool. I, already said Brian. I call him the downer prophet. <clears throat> Isaiah 1, he starts out and he spends a while describing the sins of the nation of Israel. It's really super uplifting reading. Until you realize, oh no, I'm just like that actually. But then in Isaiah 45, we find this, a prophecy where Isaiah says there will be a spirit-anointed one who will come to bring salvation. Who could Isaiah possibly be talking about? Who is this spirit-anointed one who would come to bring salvation? Well, thank you, all two of you who figured that out. Okay, let's try this again. Who is the spirit-anointed one that will come to bring salvation? There you go. Awesome. Excellent stars for everybody, okay? You can all split up this gift afterwards. Isaiah is prophesying a spirit-empowered Savior. Let's look into Jesus' life here for just a moment and see if this is true. Luke 1.35, even before he's born, at his conception, here's the Holy Spirit, verse 35 of Luke 1, and the angel answered her, Mary, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child will be born, will be called Holy, the Son of God. Here's the Holy Spirit working in Jesus' life at conception. Matthew 3.16, the baptism of Jesus. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Here is the Holy Spirit resting on Jesus at his baptism. Luke 4. 
verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is Jesus talking, because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set liberty at liberty those who are oppressed. Jesus here quotes Isaiah 61, another prophecy that Isaiah gives of this coming Spirit-empowered Savior. He is full of the Spirit in the wilderness as he battles the enemy against the temptation that he's throwing at him. And then he returns in the power of the Spirit to preach the gospel and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. So indeed, Isaiah was correct in his prophecy, right? Well, it keeps going. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus makes this statement. By the spirit of the, it is by the Spirit of the Lord that I cast out demons. And if that's the case, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, that I'm able to cast out demons. Hebrews 9, 14, the writer there makes this statement. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Jesus offered himself as a sacrifice to God for us in the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 1.4, Paul says this, and was declared to be the Son of God. Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit. The Spirit declared Jesus to be the Son of God after his resurrection. So we see Isaiah, these prophecies come to pass. That the Spirit is, began to move upon all of mankind. And that the Spirit then begins to indwell His followers, believers, those who are following Christ. And that this Christ was a Spirit-controlled and filled Savior to the world. You see, the work of the Spirit is to point us to Jesus. That is always His work. You can always kind of determine, is what I'm sensing or what so-and-so is saying, is this from the Spirit? Well, is it pointing to Jesus? The Spirit constantly points to Jesus. Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, He helps us see Jesus because without Jesus, we're without hope. And our only end will be spiritual death. So the Spirit in His care of us points, him, points us to Jesus. Now you could go a step further and even say that the Spirit points us to Himself because Jesus and the Holy Spirit are really one, and we'll talk about that again in a moment. Then there's a turning point. Here's a huge turning point. In Acts 1, just before His ascension to heaven, Jesus tells His disciples again that the Holy Spirit is coming. And he's coming soon. He uses these interesting phrases like, you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, not a baptism of water, but I do believe Jesus is referring to a complete immersion of sorts into the Spirit. He says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And I don't, I, I, you know, <laughs> Jesus isn't talking about he'll come upon you. He'll kind of sit right here. Oh, that, you know that little angel that's been there? You know, there's the bad one over here, and then there's the angel here. I'm going to come, and I'm going to sit over here. No, that's not what he means, come upon. The, the, the idea here is taking over, come upon, take over. The Holy Spirit is going to take over. And he tells them to, uh-oh, here's that spot between Thanksgiving and Christmas. 
to wait for this promised gift. Now, this would be tough. So they wait, and they gather together, and here's what we need to do when God says to us, wait. Has he ever said that to you? Wait. I'm, I'm listening. Wait. Here's what they did. They gathered together, and they devoted themselves to prayer. I say that's a good idea. Otherwise, we're going to get ourselves all off course. Then in Acts 2, starting in verse 1, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, this is a celebration in, in, in uh, Jerusalem, everybody had come into the city, they were gathered together in one place, so they've been waiting on the Lord, they've been praying, they voted in a new disciple, okay, they had a business meeting like all good evangelicals do. Suddenly, there came from heaven, boy, don't we want that, suddenly there came from heaven. A sound like a mighty rushing wind. Remember what the definition of the Holy Spirit is? The meaning is it's a wind or a breath. Well, here he comes. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit, began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, I know some of you would like me to park here for about 45 minutes and talk about these verses. That's not what the point of this is today, okay? We want to look at this phrase, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. That promise that Jesus made to be with them in Matthew 28, that they were to wait, that the Spirit was coming soon, guess what? He keeps His promise, and the Holy Spirit comes. Here it is, Jesus does not come physically, not yet. Instead, the Spirit makes Christ present in that place and in those believers. You know, I, I, ta- I know I talk about this all the time, God's aim and intent throughout scripture is to get us back to his original intent and what did god in in genesis what was god doing with adam and eve it says they would walk together in the garden and that's his intent for us is for us to be with him and to live with his people and it's the spirit that brings that about in a whole new way in the old testament the symbol of his presence was the temple you had to go to the temple That's where God would reside. But now the church, not the building, but the people, the church are his dwelling place. You see, we, each of you that is a believer in Christ, is the place on earth where God dwells. And so now we got a whole new ballgame. Let's see how that what that does. How does the Spirit work in the lives of believers today? First, he's a comforter, he's a counselor, he's an advocate. John 14, 16, that same upper, upper room discourse, Jesus says, I will ask the Father, he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Interesting, he says, another helper, acknowledging I've been your helper, I've been a comforter to you, a counselor, an advocate, now he's going to send another helper. All three words are translations of a Greek word from which we get the word paraclete. Okay? If you come from a Catholic background, you, you hear that word more often, paraclete. It's another name for the Spirit. When Jesus went away, his disciples were distressed, I'm sure, right? Because they were losing his comforting presence, but he promised to send the Spirit who would comfort and console and guide those disciples and those of us who belong to Christ. The Spirit, we're told, also bears witness with our spirits that we belong to Him and assures us of our salvation. It's the Spirit that comforts us with the truth of eternal life 
when we lose a family member in death. It is the Spirit who reminds us of God's great plan for our life when it seems that everything is caving in on us and God has abandoned us. It's the Spirit who speaks truth to us when we are believing lies. Lies about God and about ourselves, and maybe even about others. It is the Spirit that is our helper and our advocate, the one who cheers us on with encouragement when we are ready to give up and stop running this race called the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is that one on the sideline going, keep running. Keep running. Keep it up. It's going to be fine. I'm running within you. Keep going. He's a comforter, a counselor, an advocate. He's an intercessor, Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Thank you, right? Not that any of you are weak, but this works for me great, okay? We don't know how to pray. For, uh, we don't know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. One of the most encouraging and comforting Aspects of the Holy Spirit is his ministry of intercession, I believe, on behalf of those that he inhabits. Because we don't often know what or how to pray when we approach God. And when that's the case, the Spirit intercedes and prays for us. Now, I don't know exactly how that works, but I like it. He intercedes for us when we're oppressed and overwhelmed by trials and the cares of life. He comes alongside to lend assistance as he sustains us. You see, when you don't know how to pray, you can be assured of this, that the Spirit, the one who lives inside of you, is praying for you. He's also the convictor of sin. And yes, I know that convictor is not a real word, but it is today, and the ones I've seen put in Webster's Dictionary the last few years, mine's just as good as any of those, okay? He's the convictor of sin, John 16. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Remember we read this. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I don't go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will not see me. You will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Lots here in this passage also, but let me just point this out, that he is a convictor. You see, the Holy Spirit is like a huge searchlight who is exposing the world's wickedness and calling people to repentance. The Spirit turns the light on to expose the nature of our lives apart from Christ that they are dirty and trashed and filled with spiritual rodents and cockroaches that thrive in the darkness of sin. And that light comes on and he exposes that and then draws the unredeemed, the lost and sinful person to Jesus. And as believers, the Spirit awakens us and shines light on our selfishness, our pushback against godliness, our indifference that we can have to Christ. Jonathan Edwards, the great preacher, a couple hundred years ago, said that the Spirit awakens men's consciousnesses and makes them sensible or aware of the dreadfulness of God's anger and causes them a great desire and earnest care and endeavor to obtain His favor. 
In other words, it is the Spirit who shows us the truth of our own sin and moves us to desire Jesus above everything else because it pleases God. There is no conviction of sin and an understanding of our offenses against God apart from the Spirit's convicting work. He is the convictor. Let me just say this real quickly about conviction. The Spirit convicts. He does it in specifics. He is not an accuser. He doesn't accuse us of things. He convicts us of specific sins. He doesn't accuse us in generalities. You know, when you hear, you can't do this, quit. That's not the Spirit. That's an accusation. You're no good. You're this. You're that. You know. That's, that's, that's the enemy. The Holy Spirit will specifically convict and point. See this right here? This word. This action. This issue. This is what, this is what you need to take care of. Get this back in line with what you know to be truth, follow Jesus in this area. Does that make sense? Well, he does this and can do this because he is an indweller of believers. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Here we go, another reminder. It's not about me. I don't mean just me. I mean me's, all of us me's. It isn't about me, but it's not about you either. Our body's the temple of the Holy Spirit, and we are not our own. Now, I've alluded to this truth already, but I want to show you where it comes from. The Holy Spirit resides within God's people. And there is, there's that indwelling of His Spirit is the distinguishing characteristic of the saved person, the regenerated person, the person who is following Christ. From within believers, he is directing and guiding and comforting and influencing us as well as producing the fruit of the Spirit. We'll talk about that more next week. And he provides an intimate connection with God, between God and his children. All true believers in Christ have the Spirit residing in them. Because the Spirit lives in us, he gives us desires, right? He gives us new desires, they're not our own. They're for purity, for being in right and flourishing relationships with others, for, for intimacy with Jesus. And there are many implications to this. Let me challenge you with just a couple things. First, the things that you bring into your body. If our body is indeed the temple of the Holy Spirit, then the things that we bring into our body, whether it be physical, a physical substance like drugs, alcohol, or f food, impure thoughts, hateful ev and evil attitudes, and second, the things that we do with our body, sexual sin, self-abuse, any kind of misuse of our body, the things we take in or that we do with our body, all these have a negative impact on our spiritual life. Because the Spirit, here's why, the Spirit won't tolerate them. He cannot live in the same space. It just doesn't work. Your body is God's temple. The Spirit is not going to give up control. The Spirit promises... Jesus said, the Spirit's going to come and He's going to stay with you forever. So the Spirit, when this stuff starts creeping in, when we let this stuff that gives control to something else, the Spirit says, oh, no, 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 I got complete control and I'm not going anywhere. Well, here's what will happen. This will get exhausting, believer. This will get exhausting. 
because the spirit will fight for his rightful place. So you can continue to fight or you can completely surrender to his best for you. And it's not this, oh, now I got to do a bunch of stuff I don't want to do. Nothing fun. No, it's completely different than that. It's giving ourselves over to his control and what he has for us is way better than we ever imagined. He indwells believers and shows us what it means to truly stand in right relationship with him and his spirit really work in our life. It also says that he's the deposit, the seal, the earnest. Now, we will do a test of how old any of us are if, of those of us who know what the word earnest means, okay? It's like, it's like a deposit. It's earnest money. I'm going to leave $5, then I'll be back to buy the horse later, which was the last time the word earnest was used, was when people were buying horses, okay? So he's the deposit. He's the seal. You know how kings put a seal to say, this is, this is, this is the new rule. This is what you have to do. I'm putting my seal on this. You cannot break it. 2 Corinthians 1.22, he has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. The Holy Spirit is God's seal on his people. His claim on us is his very own. The gift of the Spirit to believers is a down payment on our heavenly inheritance, which Christ has promised us and secured for us on the cross. It is because the Spirit has sealed us that we are assured of our salvation. This is, this is our assurance. It isn't, i got to keep doing good and do better and be better. No, that, it has nothing to do with that. It has to do with the fact that He has sealed us. The Spirit has sealed us. That is the assurance. No one can break the seal of God. If you have received the Holy Spirit through salvation, then you need never question that He will, what's His promise, never leave you nor forsake you. And I know this also. This seal and assurance is not because of our own good works. But it's not apart from good works. It is to good works. There will be a proof of this seal. The sealed one's life will be different. It will be changed. Well, how does that go about? Well, look at this. He is also our guide. John 16, 13. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He promises to guide believers to know and understand that truth. He promises us that we can read scripture and understand it, that we can glean from it, that we can grow from it. God's truth, we're told, is foolishness to the world because it is spiritually discerned. We need the Spirit to comprehend God's truth. Those who belong to Christ will have the indwelling Spirit who guides us into all we need to know regarding spiritual matters. Our obedience to that truth does not come from ourselves, but from the Spirit that's within us. We sing a song here that says, all I, that's called, All I Have is Christ. And just as a side note, let's make sure we understand what we're singing. Okay, Verse 3 says this, Now, Lord, I would be yours alone, and live so all might see. But the strength to follow your commands could never come from me. This is because the Holy Spirit guides us and teaches us truth, and it comes from His power working within us to do that. We're also told that He's a revealer. He's called the Spirit of Truth, John 14, 16, and 17. Again, I will ask the Father, He will give you another helper to be with you forever. There's that word. Even the Spirit of Truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells in you and will be in you. Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would come and guide us into all truth. We have the mind of Christ and the person of the Holy Spirit in us. See, we need that because Ephesians 2 Verse 1 tells us that we are spiritually dead without Christ. We are unable to respond to God in any way. We are enslaved to sin. We have hard hearts that can't respond in and of themselves with faith. You know, it's been said that the gospel was not given to us so that bad people could become good. It's so that dead people could live. He's a revealer of this truth. We have a new heart, a new life, new desires, new loves, new passions. You see, it is this revelatory ministry of the Spirit that gives believers those aha moments. Ever have one of those? When we are face to face with God's truth about our life, when we say, I will repent, I will go in a new direction because I know that the Spirit in me is helping me to desire a life pleasing to God. That's the spirit of truth revealing in our lives. He's also called the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of Christ. Matthew 3.16, when Jesus was baptized, immediately went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw what? We read this before. The Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3, Now the Lord is the Spirit, where the Spirit of the Lord is... Different phrase, not the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord. There is freedom. Verse 11 of 1 Peter 1, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. These are all different names for the same person. But it is indeed, we do see here that the Spirit is indeed part of what we call the Trinity, the triune Godhead. He is just as much God as the Father and the Son. Remember, he's at creation. We said he was hovering over the waters. This is while it says Jesus made all things. We see this same trinity, interestingly, at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is in the water. The Spirit descends upon Jesus, and the Father's voice is heard from heaven. Look at this amazing synergy of the Godhead, the trinity. The Father is the righteous judge. And we cannot even come into his presence in our sin. But Jesus rescued us from God's judgment. And the Spirit moves us to take hold of the rescue that Jesus has provided and achieved. The Spirit is not a lesser part, but fully functions as and represents the entire Trinity. It's not, here's Jesus and and the Father, and here's the Holy Spirit over here. They are one yet they have different functions. Now don't ask me to fully explain this, but he is an amazing God who has these different, these different functions and different aspects of himself. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, you have Christ. When you have Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. When you have the Holy Spirit, you are in relationship with God. He says he is the spirit of life. Romans 8, 2. 
For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Good news, right? The phrase, the Spirit of life, means the Holy Spirit is the one who produces and gives life. He imparts new life. When we receive eternal life through Christ, the Spirit provides the spiritual food that is the sustenance of our spiritual life. This setting free is often called sanctification, or what I like to say, becoming more and more like Jesus part, okay? It's the part of our spiritual journey where we're becoming more and more like Christ. I don't know about you, but the most challenging part of the Christian life is often exercising a daily obedience to Jesus. We have a new position, a relationship with God. We also have a new influencing power, and that work of the Spirit in us is progressive. It is ongoing. That's good news. If you're waiting for the moment that you're going to be perfect, you're going to finally get it, well, we'll be at your funeral probably because it's ongoing. Paul tells us in his letters that we must work this out with fear and trembling. That sounds encouraging. But he also says we are no longer in the flesh but in the Spirit. So the Spirit's giving us the power to do this. Yes, we can make an effort in our growth, but it is the Spirit that empowers us to do so. How does the Spirit of life progressively sanctify us? Well, great question, and we're going to address that more a little bit next week, but let me just say this. 2 Corinthians 3.18 gives us a bit of insight that when we, it, it talks about when we, when we read the Word of God, becomes a mirror to us, and we are beholding the glory of the Lord and being transformed into that same image. What's the point? Well, we start seeing a metamorphosis into what we are beholding, we are becoming. That It's the old adage, whatever you put in is what comes out. Whatever we see, and we start to, to, to understand as we see Christ more deeply, as we understand the work of God in our lives, we become more and more like Christ. He's the spirit of life. He's the teacher, John 14, 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. He's going to bring to remembrance all that he said to us. Just like the writers of Scripture, he brought to remembrance all the things that he had done so that they could put it in Scripture. In that same way, he teaches us. He brings to remembrance those things. Well, what's important? That we are people of the Word, so that he can teach us through it, so that we can grow in the power of the Holy Spirit as we understand his truth. And then lastly, he is a witness. Romans 8, 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. The Spirit is called witness because he verifies and testifies to the fact that we are the children of God, that Jesus and his disciples perform miracles, were sent by God, that the books of the Bible were divinely inspired further by the giving of the gifts of the Spirit to believers. He witnesses to us and to the world that we belong to God. His power is working through us. There should be within you as a believer, if you're a believer today, there should be within you an undeniable understanding and belief of the Spirit's presence in your life. If you have not yet, though, acknowledge God's authority and ownership in your life, bowed your knee to his control, then that witness will not be there. And the very lack of this witness is to show you your need for Christ. 
and that should draw you to him. So this brings us to two important questions. Number one, what does this witness say to you? Are you a follower of Jesus? The Spirit today would, is pointing you to, to, to Jesus. And if the Spirit is doing that, how will you respond? Will you say yes? Will you obey His voice? Give your life to Jesus today. The second question I'd ask is, believers, what is the witness saying to you? Are you obeying the Spirit as He's guiding you, as He's teaching you, as He's sanctifying you? What is He saying right now? What, what is the yes that He wants from you right now? What's the yes that He wants? See, these questions come down to this one word, saying yes to the Spirit. Either in drawing you to Jesus for the first time, or in a, a step of obedience today, believers. Let's pray together. Father, use your word again today as you always do to challenge us, to, to make us more like your son, to cause us to have to evaluate where we are in our walk with you. Visit us each week as we continue to journey through God's word and seek to know him better through the gospel. Our prayer is that the gospel has taken a deeper hold of you as we have studied the word together at New Life Church, where Jesus is front and center all the time.